Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of Front Row Cinema, a podcast for movie lovers by movie lovers. I am your host, TJ Tromboli, alongside my co-host, chaos theorist, Big Jim O'Reilly. Hey there, guys. And my man, we're finally doing it. It's finally happening. We've been talking yeah, about this uh... for a while, and we're finally going to give it a shot. And we're going to see how it's going to go. You excited? Yeah, I'm pumped, man. It feels like it's been months in the making. I know, I know. It's been crazy how long we've been building this up and, you know, life gets in the way, just like Jurassic Park. Life gets it. Life doesn't find a way. Life gets in the way. Oh, boy. It started yeah. off hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a million of those throughout the entirety of all of these. So strap in, baby, because it's going hot. But yeah, we're finally getting started with it. We, we had this idea for this, a little backstory for some people for a while now. Me and Jim have always talked about movies for the entirety of our friendship. And um, just recently, I had passed seeing 1,000 movies in theaters. And I had this idea that if I was going to do a podcast, I wanted to do something unique to that. And I thought a great way would be to go back and go through all of these movies that I saw in theaters and kind of catch up on them. There's so many of them that I, I watched once in theaters that we went and saw once in theaters and then never touched on again. So I thought this would be a fun way to go in, go through each movie every week and just see, you know, how it holds up, what we thought about it, you know, die into its box office run and all that good stuff. And so that was that was my impetus for doing this. And then I brought in one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, Big Jim O'Reilly here to lend a hand. And we're going to talk some movies and hopefully you enjoy just two nerds talking about movies. And potentially movies I haven't seen. <laughs> yes, that as well. Some movies, there's probably a bunch of these in here, at least in the beginning, that maybe we don't link up completely on. It's not really until 2004 that we started seeing every movie together right right well there was that point right where we started going to the movies every single week on on fridays and i, I don't know I, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to go off your list and get get maybe a perspective from somebody who vaguely is familiar with something through pop culture but maybe hasn't seen it sometimes and i think a lot of these i'll end up watching before we talk about them too it's true and that that's the perfect movie tonight then for us to dive into because that's exactly what we're doing is we're going into a movie that somehow you haven't seen what is the movie that we're starting out with big jim what is our first movie of the night uh we're we're going over jurassic park the lost world that's starring right. vince vaughn that's right vince vaughn nobody else no one else was in this movie this he's, man he's was potentially the most famous person so i'm giving him top billing Tub Steven directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Vince Vaughn. <laughs> but yes, we're diving into the 1997 science fiction action film directed by Steven Spielberg, written by David Coep and based on the novel by Michael Crichton. Although I should really throw up the uh, parentheses on that, very loosely based on the book by Michael Crichton. Did you read the book? I did, yeah. When I was much younger, I was probably like 10 or 11 years old when I read the Jurassic Park books. Um, so I definitely know that I have read it. I don't think I could tell you any specifics about what was different between that and the movie. I'm the <laughs> same way. Quite a while. I think I read the book probably around the same time. Like, well, obviously, since we're the same age, we both read it when we were kids. Um, but I I didn't I wanted to read it before we watched the movie and then of course I just didn't. So while I'm this I was in the same boat with you I was like I have no idea what happened in the book as opposed to the movie. I decided I was just going to read the synopsis 
of the book on like a wiki or whatever so i could okay. see like what what changed and before you go i will say i i do vaguely remember being very disappointed that ian malcolm was like the only crossover character and i'm pretty sure that was true in the book as well i could be wrong no he he absolutely is i think because pretty much in the jurassic park book everybody pretty much dies besides um what's it sam neil and um Laura Dern. I was going to say, it was funny. I was going to say Sam Neill, but then I was going to say Laura Dern's actual character in the book because I couldn't think of her name oh, for yeah. a second. But yeah, I think pretty much outside of everyone, besides them two and the kids, like everyone else in that first book dies. Like Ian Malcolm, yeah, they I, say, die, like succumbed to his injuries. Like right, Hammond right, fucking right. murdered at the end of that book. Yeah, and maybe, maybe that's what I found disappointing was that he kind of got like the soap opera, like back from the life treatment, like back yeah. to life treatment. <laughs> he got the like, oh no, he just thought he was dead, but you know, the hospital fixed him. He's cool now. Yeah, you know, that, that, that old chestnut, you just that thought chestnut. you were dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes so much sense because I was reading into it and Michael Crichton wanted no part of writing another book. He was like, Jurassic Park was done. I'm not into doing sequels. Like that was it. And then Spielberg in the studio basically like just bullied him relentlessly until he finally did. It was just like every day they're like, yo, bro, come on, you should write a sequel. It's like, yo, bro, come on, you yeah. should write a sequel. And it's like, I wonder like, I wonder how, I'm, I mean, I'm sure he makes money off of selling the books, obviously, because he owns the copyright. But like, I wonder like if there's any way they're like convincing him, like how much are they offering to pay him, I suppose. All right, yeah, I wonder how that worked out, that exchange of goods there. At the, at it's the funny because like, Crichton could have written like anything you wanted, like, and anybody would have given him a lot of money. To oh, do yeah. It. You kidding me? After that first movie came out, like, he probably had a blank check to do whatever the hell he wanted, and they bullied him into doing one of those. And it cracks me up even more because, like, they bullied him incessantly. And then he finally gave in and wrote that book. And then they were like, we're not going to use any of this. That's the book and the movie couldn't be more different. Like, <laughs> right. And that's, I feel like that's definitely a thing in other franchises too, where they're just like, we don't necessarily care what's in the source material. We just want there to be source material. Source, so yeah. We can say we base this on like on the book, you know? Yeah. Like they were just like, we just need to tap as many markets as possible. So it's like, you put out the book, which will get business. And then we got the movie, which is going to like just pile up on top of that business. Like it's just, we're just making yeah. money, baby. Yeah, I feel like that's like the same thing with the Bourne movies, right? Like he just they like kept cranking out books like specifically so they could make more movies. Oh yeah, well yeah. Well, didn't the guy die and then they were just like they just found a writer and he just kept putting out books? I I don't know honestly. Maybe he's dead. I'm, I, I I'm think his pretty, name was Ludlow, but I yeah no, I'm pretty him. sure I'm pretty sure he's dead and they just got somebody to churn out books like like they just do with Tom Clancy now. Is Tom Clancy dead? No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Tom Clancy died a few years. I think that oh was like God. before COVID. Tom Clancy this died. Jeez, like, I wasn't. Yeah. This is like this is a lot heavier than I thought it would be. I might need a break. <laughs> <laughs> We're crushing Jim's spirits early in the podcast here. You might have to uh, signal out now and go uh, go have a hunt for the Red October marathon. Yeah, that's um, a good one. No, so so right. So it's based on a, a sequel book that Michael Crichton was potentially coerced into writing. Yeah, pretty much. They probably just locked him in a room and they were like, go ahead, write this. Like, and then we're going to use none of it. Because pretty much the only thing in the book that makes it to the movie is the fact that there's a rescue mission. But it has nothing to do with his girlfriend, Sarah Harding. Sarah Harding is just a random person on the team. He doesn't, I think he has a kid, but I don't know if it's in the way that they wrote it in the movie. 
Um, it's like it's, it's just, everybody. There's just nothing is as you would expect it to right. be. Like it's just it's such a mishmash. Like you could tell they were just like we just wanted, like you said, like we just needed a based on property, so okay. it would just sell more and create more. So that's that's just so. I would have been so mad if I was Michael Crichton. I would have been like, are you? serious right now <laughs> and I mean, the movie the movie itself really feels like it gets like the prototypical late 90s hollywood treatment right yeah it definitely feels very much more of the 90s era than the first one does like the first one feels like timeless like you could watch that first one now and it and it it, it just has that timeless aspect to it whereas this one definitely feels of its era yeah, it feels like a late 90s blockbuster, which I mean, to be fair, is exactly what it is. But yeah, it's it's definitely uh, definitely of its time, for sure. Yeah, sometimes it's just what you want, a late 90s action, action movie. Sometimes you can't go worse than that. Yeah, and I mean, I'll tell you what, this time it was exactly what I wanted. <laughs> well, we, one of the things that we did want to dive into a lot of times with this is when we would go back to these movies is where we were at the time when the movies came out, what we remember about seeing the movie when we were this age, um, and some of our memories about the time when this movie was released. Now, obviously, we can't really do that for you this time, um, because this watching it for the podcast was the first time you have seen this movie. But I guess the question I could ask you then is, how did you manage to miss this movie when you were a kid? Like you read the book, you obviously had seen um, the first one. How did this one slip through the cracks? Well, I mean, I was probably like eight years old when it came out. Uh, so I don't know if I knew the movie or the books even existed. <laughs> um, Fair. I know, I like I said, I probably read the books like a few years even after this movie happened. And I also had uh, older brothers and I have a vague memory that both of them thought this movie was lame, <laughs> which, which for a young me was very persuasive. Fair, yeah, I guess when you got the older brothers, you're really going to follow along with uh, with whatever they're jamming on. Yeah, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been cool for me to watch this in my house, which meant yeah. a lot to me at the time. <laughs> there you go. So Lost World Jurassic Park slips through Jim's fingers. I, on the other hand, did get to see this movie when it came out in 1997. Of course, we're talking movies that I went and saw back in theaters. This was the first movie that I could remember seeing in theaters, I'm sure. My parents took me to movies before that, but I, for the life of me, can't remember that, so those don't count. This is the first one that I have actual memories of seeing in theaters. Um, oh, like wow. we said, yeah, we were we were eight years old, obviously, when the movie came out in 1997. Um, and surprisingly, not only was it my first movie in, that I can remember seeing in theaters, it was my first drive-in theater experience. So I saw The Lost World at the drive-in, you saw this at a drive-in? Yeah, yeah, I saw it at a drive-in, which um, I had fond memories of it. I remember enjoying the hell out of it, but it's one of those things that definitely, again, feels of its era because I think about it now and I just think about how awful a drive-in theater experience is because it's like when I go see a movie, like, I want amazing sound. Right, and, you don't want to be listening on your car stereo. Exactly, yeah, and like when you go to, for people that don't know, like who have never experienced a drive-in out there, you know, you used to just, you pull up and you sat in your car and you, in front of this big, huge screen and watch this movie and you had two options as far as hearing it went. You could either tune the station in your car to whatever the AM station was and it would just come through your car stereo 
or they would have this little speaker box that you would roll your window down and attach it into the window and then roll it back up so it would sit there. And then it would play through this one singular speaker in the car. So if it was at the driver's side and you're in the back right, you're listening all the way off into the left-hand side, just trying to hear decent sound for this movie. Yeah, and that, that miserable yeah it just sounds awful so it's either listen out of this one crappy speaker that the drive-in theater has or listen through my crappy car radio because <laughs> this is 1997 like how good were the speakers in your car in like 1997 yeah. i'm honest i'm pretty surprised that there was still drive-ins by us at that point where the yeah. where the hell did you go it was the it was in westbury it was the way there was a drive-in oh, at the Westbury theater. Yeah. I think now, I know where you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, now it's um an actual in indoor theater, like a regular theater now. And then the other side where like the screens right. used to be, I think is just that, like, like uh, uh, that United like, Artists, like by that. Yeah. 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 It's the United okay. Artists theater. And then I think it's just like a, a target or like a BJ's on the other side now that took up the rest of the lot. Right. Um, so it's not even there anymore, but yeah, that's where I saw the lost world remember loving it as a kid seeing it on that big huge screen um i would never ever want to ever see it i remember when covid was happening and people were like oh they should bring drive-in theaters back and it's like and i was just like no absolutely not like are you are you guys on drugs like absolutely not yeah um we we have a drive-in out here and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be going to it like some point at some point really? soon. yeah i'm like not super jazzed about it but, but imagine like depending on the movie it could be like a kitschy fun thing to do. Like if it was just like a comedy or something where it's not so much about being in like the big, huge screen with the great seats and great sound design, like it wouldn't be yeah. so bad, but yeah, like the way, the way they do it, like, so they do, they only play double features. And so I definitely, I'm going to be pretty selective about what movie it is. Yeah. Like I'm not going to go like see Oppenheimer at the drive. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like you don't want to see a movie that like, you really want to get like immersed in the experience for like an Oppenheimer's or like a Dune part two, like you don't you don't waste that on the drive-in, but like exactly. but like the you could probably already hard enough to hear in both of those movies exactly, but like you could probably watch like Barbie or like uh, any just like light-hearted movie in a drive-in and and not have it like completely ruined. Yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah. So like, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'll I'll, like, I'll check back in on that at some point. Yeah, you let me know when you when you go. You can you can drop the experience down in here. What is the drive-in theater experience like in 2023 as opposed back to way back when in 1997? So wow, yeah. So you saw this in a drive-in. That's pretty incredible. I did not know that. Yeah, it's pretty great. I think that was my only drive-in experience too unless like they yeah, that was it you just needed the one <laughs> yeah we just needed the one after that like my eight-year-old self was like that was cool that's enough though uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i need another one of that like that's good They're good times but all right so now we're gonna keep moving along we're gonna dive into the movie we're gonna talk about obviously like what we enjoyed what worked all the all the feelings that we loved in the movie we'd love to quickly dive into though of the hype and box office that surrounds these movies when they come out. I know, I know not a lot of, it doesn't jive for a lot of people. One of the things that we love is I just love looking at box office totals and box office runs and just seeing the run that a movie had, you know, like some people like to look at like sports athletes and just see like the run they had and like a season 
or just something. And for us, like looking at the tally of the box office sometimes just really gets us going. And The Lost World is a perfect movie to start with because the hype surrounding this movie was probably, I would probably imagine some of the biggest to happen at that time. Because we're really, if you're looking at in the 90s, like, it, yeah, it start, It really started in the in 75. It blew up with Jaws about the idea of doing blockbuster filmmaking and really like reaching a large mass audience. But I feel like it really wasn't until the 90s where like they really learned how to use marketing to really like explode and get these movies to reach these like really huge like zeitgeist levels right. in the entertainment industry. And that's probably thanks to like the dawn of the internet i would imagine right like you think yeah i mean i mean i i've again we were very young at the time so i wasn't spending a ton of time on the internet but yeah i mean that makes sense right like in the mid 90s late 90s people were getting much more connected so yeah you could there's there's more opportunities to spread the word and all that stuff like it was really building around because i was looking into it on like the hype alone and i remember some of these um but it extended so much further and I remember it. Let's see if you so they spent a lot. How much do you think alone they spent solely on marketing? If you had to throw uh, out a number, that's okay. So I'm trying to not put it too much into the context of movies now, <laughs> where it feels like two, three hundred million just on marketing would be like easy, but I don't know if it would have been the same back then. So, yeah, well, yeah, this I'm is gonna, obviously I'm unadjusted. I'm going to say they spent, oh, it's, it's like, a, okay, I see. What this is saying. what they spent in 97. So obviously this would be so much more today if we adjusted it. Right. Uh, that's what I mean. Right. Like yeah. if it was, I would say they probably spent like two to 300 million, but I'm thinking of that as a movie in 2023. Yeah. So I would say maybe like a hundred, a hundred million on marketing. Nah, you're, you're on the money in the first spot going along with 2023. They spent $250 million alone on marketing in 1997. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't even... a lot of money. Yeah, I wouldn't even know what that is adjusted for inflation, but that is probably like a stupid amount of money. Hold like, on, I'll, I'll, I'll get you the number. Hold he's on. getting the number. All right, well, he gets in the number. I'm going to run down some of these tie-ins that they did to advertise this movie. So they obviously, obviously hit your fast food market. They hit the Burger King. They made General Mills put out a Jurassic Park Crunch cereal. Oh, is hilarious to me. They had tie-ins with Hamburger Helper, with Betty Crocker. Like, it's like, what? Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. I'm wondering what the what the strategy was there. <laughs> Like, like, it just seems to them, they were just like, slap it on everything. They were like, if they were like, whatever they got, if somebody's into it, slap right. it on there. Right. Right. Because how honestly, many people that that stuff works, because I'll tell you this right now, I was not interested in seeing the newest Jurassic Park movie at all. Uh, and I, they, they had like a 12 pack of like Mountain Dew with dinosaurs on it for Jurassic Park. And I was like, you know what, I think I kind of actually want to see that. Like, like, I didn't even buy the Mountain Dew. I just like walked past it in the grocery store, and I was like sold. You know. So there's so there's I a think, method. I think they might be onto something. There's a method to their madness. They know. They're like, listen, if we even get one person to walk past the hamburger helper aisle, we're right. going. Like, we got them. We got them. So, uh, so I have a number here. Um, okay. Based on the inflation calculator. Okay. Uh, two hundred and fifty million in nineteen ninety seven would be. 
476 million and some change in 2023. That's absolutely insane. So they spent Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Today's money almost 500 million dollars alone just to market this mother. Right. And I mean I wonder I wonder how if that's actually still normal today. My my perception of this may be totally off. And now it seems a lot more common. Like obviously back then this was still like new territory so only like really like big movies were getting it but it seems like every other movie that comes out today at least has these marketing budgets of like 200 million dollars alone like even movies that you wouldn't like expect to have it have it like it's 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 insane it's it's so crazy like the amount of money that they do but obviously i guess in in some instances it works because like you said like you slap this thing on everything people are going to go to it like in addition like obviously like you know you're going to throw it on your video games you're going to get your comic tie-ins and all that stuff but like hitting it on the food is like the funniest one ever to me like that one absolutely cracks me up right right and then i wonder i i couldn't really find any others to back this up so I'm, I'm curious to see if this was really the first one to take advantage of it but i was reading that the first trailer for the movie debuted during the super bowl so this is another thing like we were talking about like it seems it's such a common thing to do today right. to get your movie out for super bowl ads and you know really like drive that buzz up so i wonder right. if this movie was one of the first to really take advantage of that and really explode that as a marketing method that's yeah, and so I mean, common today. I, I couldn't even imagine the hype for that at the Super Bowl. Like, because the first Jurassic Park movie was such a powerhouse of a movie. You know what it, I mean? It was like and, the highest grossing movie of all time when it came out. Right. And the biggest yeah. TV program in the world, the Super Bowl, plays like probably, I mean, I guess, I don't know, would it maybe would have been a teaser back then. I'm not even really sure. It was, so, so the teaser was, um, and it was funny because I watched the teaser and I completely remembered it. And I was like, holy crap, that's a blast from the past. And it's basically, it's just like a thunderstorm. And every time like lightning strikes, you see like the image of the T-Rex. Right. And they're just like, something survived. And like, oh. that was the whole, and that was the whole teaser. So like, yeah. I can only imagine like watching the Super Bowl back then. And you didn't really, the internet wasn't as big as it was now. So there's no like dirt sheets or anything where people are spoiled and they're like, yo, the Lost World trailer is going to drop during the Super Bowl. Like you were right, probably right. completely unaware and you're just like chilling, watching the Super Bowl and suddenly that trailer drops. And like, right. how many people were just like, yo, bro, let's go. Like, that's yeah, I right. Mean- you you just described it to me for a movie i've already seen and i would go see it tomorrow like (laughs) like, it sounds so cool right yeah like they their marketing their their marketing machine for this one was really in just full gear and they really just capitalized on everything and just it it goes to show how well marketing plays into the factor of of getting butts in the seats for these movies yeah, so um, yeah, I guess you, let's uh, let's take a look at how all that money they spent on marketing yeah, paid off let's, for them. Let's right? see how that paid off. Run, run me down some box office numbers. Okay, so this movie released May twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, which yeah. I would imagine just like it is today is kind of like a big kickoff for the summer movie season. And that's the Memorial Day weekend. Right. Yeah, that sounds right. For, yeah, at least for this movie, it was at the time of its release widest release ever on 3200 screens uh and the opening weekend it made 72.1 million first movie in history to have an opening weekend over 70 
It's crazy to think about. Like how many, like now sometimes if a movie opens to 70 million, they're like, that's a disappointment. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd say it definitely is for a lot of movies these days. Yeah. For certain movies. That's crazy. I'm trying to think. I think Mission Impossible was right around that, right? Maybe even a little bit less than that, like in the 50s, 60s. The newest that, one? I mean, yeah, the newest one. Uh, yeah, yeah, the new, yeah, the newest one I think opened to like 55. And right, were, and I know that was that was a disappointment. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, well, when your movie costs like three hundred million dollars, yeah, that's right. that's not that's not great. Right. So so anyway, though, let's let's not get too off topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, biggest opening weekend in history. Give me a guess at what movie you think it beat. For the biggest opening weekend. Right. Right. Not 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 what it beat that weekend, but what what did it take the spot from for biggest opening weekend? For its biggest opening weekend. Um, there's a few ones. What was big in the 90s? Probably, was it a Batman movie? It was a Batman movie. Oh, there we go. Well, at that point, I'm going to say it was probably the the last one that came out before that movie dropped, which was probably like Batman Forever. It is Batman Forever, yeah. Yeah, you got yeah. it. When bam. Which is, that's crazy that Batman Forever put up the biggest opening weekend ever at the time of its release that's why like the 90s is so interesting to look at this stuff because like just such interesting movies were holding these records and like it's so much harder to break a record like that today where like when a movie does it you know exactly like you're not surprised you know exactly the type of movie that's going to do it whereas like back in the 90s there was just so much more like to go around like such a movie that you wouldn't normally expect yeah i mean i don't know dude it was a batman movie it it was very star-studded i think i think it just looking at it now it makes sense to me that that, i guess i guess it's it's easy to look back in hindsight having grown up with the movie and realizing like how silly and and you know divisive it is now but like i'm sure when that movie was like getting ready to come out like right after is 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 batman forever divisive do people not like batman forever (laughs) I, I would say depending on who you ask and and where your your sites lay on the internet. That that's the one with Jim Carrey, right? That's the, yeah. the Riddler and Two Face. Tommy Lee yeah. Jones is Two Face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, really, Two Face, you teach me how to hit a guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess people do have the right to be wrong, you know, if they don't want to yes. like that movie. This is true. This is true. It was also the biggest May opening. Uh, it beat Twister for that title. I see like um, now come on that's what I mean when we're like breaking records here like Twister had a record for biggest May opening like that's yeah dude do you not remember how huge of a deal Twister was I do Twister is one of my it favorite like, movies of all time I, I also didn't see Twister but I remember like people in elementary school like talking about Twister like it was like the talk of the world you know that was an absolute fantastic movie well deserved so it so it beat Twister for biggest May opening. Okay. Uh, largest Memorial Day weekend beat Mission Impossible, and at the time it was the fastest film ever to reach a hundred million dollars. Got there in six days. It was nominated for an Oscar for visual effects. Sounds about right. But still, hey, that to Titanic. Titanic, never heard of it. What's that? An indie movie? also a pretty big movie 
So, so basically what you're telling me is like Jurassic Park Lost World maybe held these records for like a few weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So this came out in like May and Titanic shattered it. Yeah, Titanic came out in December. So it, it had a, it had like <laughs> yeah. six months to enjoy this rain. Right, right. But hey, still, people want to complain about the Lost World. It is an Academy Award nominated movie. Yeah. I mean, that is. And, and I think pretty deservedly so. I thought it was a pretty intense movie. I thought it was great. Well, that for at least visual effects, that's definitely a worthy nomination for that movie. It's it's crazy. I wonder how this movie would have done also if it wasn't up against such a stacked summer. Like obviously we look in and we see, you know, when all was said and done, the movie ultimately it grossed 229 million domestically, 389 oh, right. internationally for a yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> 618 million dollars which is not terrible for 1997 618 million dollars still huge obviously when in comparison to the original jurassic park that's a bit of a disappointment because i think the, the original was the highest grossing movie of all time so obviously you want to do better than that and this came in well short of expectations but it had a lot to go up against like 1997 just was an absolute stacked summer it had to go up against movies like hercules face off men in black con air speed Two, batman and robin like you when, yeah, when all, we all classics yeah when we talk about like how you said before like that late 90s action movie like 1997 was that summer was just chock full of them right you're looking at like i mean that's like a real sweet spot with face off come on <laughs> yeah yeah dude oh, yeah how are you gonna compete with a with a movie like face off john men woo's masterpiece con air those are like all classic movies and yeah you're yeah. right they fit into that same kind of like paradigm like that that late 90s box office movie the only thing i would say maybe men in black kind of rivals it in terms of uh effects face off and con air seem a little bit more i don't know like they don't they don't have the same kind of like feel to them or like tone to them as i would probably put to men in black or um or Jurassic Park Lost World, where they're like, I don't know, they're kind of like larger than life almost in a way that Face Off and Con Air aren't. Face Off and Con Air are more just like straight up action pulp. Whereas like a movie like Men in Black and Lost World, yeah, and you even, know what? What, even think, what Batman and Robin tried to be was spectacle. I think what I'm looking for is, is Face Off and Con Air are, are like both way more high concept. You know what I mean? Like they're... Yeah. Whereas Jurassic World is not so much, I don't think. Yeah, well, yeah, I, the, the face-off, much tougher sell than Lost World. <laughs> yeah. Dinosaurs, guy who trades faces. <laughs> right. The tough one. But, it's, um, dude, it's it's crazy to look through all these and be like, I missed all of these in theaters. Like, I didn't see any of these movies in theaters. And these yeah, are, I will. These are I mean, classics. Right. These are all movies that I definitely remember. I think I might have saw Men in Black in theaters. I think I might have saw that movie. Somehow I missed that but one. It's it's crazy how many rest... great movies came out in the 90s, but we were kind of slaves to if our parents wanted and were willing enough to take us to the movies. Yeah, we. I was probably a little young for Face Off. <laughs> yeah, definitely young, too young for Face Off and Con Air, but I feel like we obviously Hercules. Hercules should have been a layup. I'm pretty sure I saw Con Air in theaters with my dad. I'm pretty sure I did. That would that would be one kick-ass screening right there for an eight-year-old. Yeah. But another thing that I wonder if it hurt this tally was its critical reception. 
um, because I was looking up reviews and everything for back then. I, I try to always get and look and see what they were at the time and not so much the people um, in modern day looking back on it. And the reception back then was not very kind to this movie. Um, one of the people that we like to always look at, at least he was he was the de facto critic when we were kids growing up, was our man. Ebert. Ebert, Roger Ebert was our guy. He was the he was he was the capo, man. He was the critic you look to. He was the guy who just had his say, and that was if you knew you were gonna see this movie. He gave this movie two stars. And a little snippet from his little transcript, he wrote, it can be said that the creatures in this film transcend any visible signs of special effects and seem to walk the earth. But the same realism isn't brought to the human characters who are bound by plot conventions and action formulas. Not very kind. Um, and it didn't get any kinder from there. All the other reviews that I saw all were the same way they all just lamented the perfunctory notions of a cliche ridden story with ham-fisted characters and clunky dialogue that is verbatim from one random dude's uh review that i saw and i was like wow that's a lot of big words to shit on a movie <laughs> yeah i do have a bone to pick with roger ebert here okay pick uh, that bone there's there's one movie that also came out in 1997 that you did not mention uh it was do you remember the the, the movie spawn yes <laughs> yeah. that came out in the summer spawn with those also, movies or? spawn came out august 1st 1997 oh my god so that was a late so, august hit right there so so a few a few weeks after this movie guess, guess how many guess guess what roger ebert gives spawn Oh, it's definitely got to be better than Lost World the way you're building it up. I'm hoping he gave it three, but if you say four, I might have to stab myself in the face. Three and a half stars for Spawn. <laughs> he has an absolutely glowing review of this movie. Oh he's, my god. He, he's he's incredibly enamored with it, is all I can say. It's uh, he, he calls it an experimental art film. Oh boy. Well, you know, Roger uh, Ebert uh, was not always the as foolproof as you wanted him to be. And, and la last bit on this, he is particularly impressed with John Leguizamo. Yeah, I was literally <laughs> just going to say, I was like, where's the hype for Leguizamo? Like, I'm waiting for it. So mo most of the movie involves Spawn's efforts to break loose from his bargain with the devil, whose representative is a clown, a fat, wisecracking midget, played with brilliant comic timing by John Leguizamo. <laughs> Dude, like Ebert had to have like gotten high before he went to that screening, right? He's like, fucking with us, right? Like that's what that is. <laughs> he's gotta be. Cause like, how can you complain about human plot conventions in the lost world, but then sit there and like laud a tour de force performance from John Leguizamo in Spawn? Like Right, right. Within like weeks of each other. And, like yeah. <laughs> just that's that's so funny yeah so it always goes to show folks at home critics sometimes don't know what the hell they're talking about like, i mean i i do love me some ebert but i felt like i, I do I felt like it needed to be said no that absolutely does that definitely helps put a little feather in that cap and understand that you should well critics are definitely a good take to go and look and get a feel for a movie i would never trust them to really sell a performance for what I wanted to say because him him and me couldn't be more different on the Lost World Jurassic Park. Like Yeah, I mean it was it was a great movie, right? I, I yeah. loved 
I, I will say, so I, I tried watching this a couple of different times. Okay. Um, the first time, I was not super into the first half hour. I was not really buying it, didn't think I was going to like this movie at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I forget, I got interrupted by something and then watched it again like a few weeks later and uh, it was incredible. It's like, it's, it was, it blew me away, honestly. I think I wonder if it's something where it's just like being in the right frame of mind or the right like setting at times just really helps sell a movie. Because sometimes you could just put something on and you're just not into watching a movie or whatever that day and that affects how you enjoy a movie. And then like you could return to a movie like weeks later in like a different mood and suddenly it hits you in a completely different way that like you weren't ready for. Yeah, yeah. I definitely i mean it must have been something like that yeah but, i guess that's um, that's always goes to show that you should always try and return to a movie i guess if there if there's a movie out there that doesn't quite quite hit a tone with you the first time out or whatever like you should always down the road sometimes give it another chance because you never know if you might come across something and hits you a different way and suddenly you love a movie that you once hated yeah totally so so what worked for you in this movie um a lot a lot of stuff worked for me what's it's it always is interesting to me um how some people like view certain movies like this where like you get somewhere like ebert where he's really like hammering home the issues with the human portion of the script and while the human portion is by no means perfect I always wonder, I'm always sitting there wondering, like, what were you really expecting at it? Like, what did you really need out of it? Like in a movie like Jurassic Park, like what, what, what was going to hit for you that didn't hit in this movie? Because for me, I actually enjoy the human aspect of the movie. Granted, a lot of the characters are hammy and sometimes don't work and are plot conventions, but the whole idea of this movie pretty much basically being a corporate espionage movie that just involves dinosaurs is interesting to me it was fun it was right. it was an interesting different approach to to the movie to further the special effects but not just redo the first movie because they easily could have phoned this in and just like pretty much just redone the first movie right and right cash the check but i like and that eventually scene. they did by the way yeah yeah so if you look at any of the jurassic world movies it's pretty much just copy and paste over and over again um so i like that he tried something different here and was like, let's look at like these dinosaurs are property to them. And it's just going to be this corporate espionage movie. So I that that really worked for me. I thought that was yeah. really cool and an interesting take for that movie. So it, it it's just weird to me when they harp on these movies. I feel like you're just overly critical sometimes with some of these movies, at least in certain critics eyes. What, what about you? What, what worked for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely like picking up what you're putting down there. Like the idea. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I do think the story itself is like pretty. Uh, I don't know, shallow. I guess would be the word I would use. Like, there's yeah, well, not I mean, really it's... like a lot to to sink your teeth into there. Um, but I just don't care because like the the sequences are so good, you know. Um, particularly off the top of my head, the the trailer when um when the dinosaurs attack like their little camp they're doing that meeting about send the park in san diego yeah how, I did that. how it has like plenty of animal attractions and they list off like sea world and then they drop the san diego chargers in there i wasn't really sure how that fit in with the animal attractions but 
I love when they just have those like random out there lines and you're just like, oh yeah. yeah. Like, like the guy very clearly sets it up that he's talking about like zoos and stuff. And then he says the San Diego Chargers. I'm just saying, you do with that what you will. But um, yeah, like right when the, it's I believe it's like right after the dinosaurs attack that, that camp. Um, and it's like Julianne Moore, Jeff Goldblum, and I believe it's Vince Vaughn are in that trailer that's like hanging off of the cliff yeah uh and i mean the action there is just so top-notch it's so good um and the, the way they build suspense and tension throughout that scene like the the stakes keep getting raised over and over again um the the cracks that start to appear on the windshield like once they fall lower down into the trailer um so yeah i don't know i guess like just like the the scene craft of that stuff really makes yeah. me forgiving of the overall like story arc story yeah well that's just one of those things where it shows just how much of a master spielberg is at his craft because like that that scene is is shot so perfectly and just builds and builds and builds just so wonderfully like they're just like the goodness of them that like we got to try and fix this baby t-rex which is like yeah very noble and uh of you guys and altruistic but like jeff goldblum just knows better and he's like no you guys got to get this this thing out of here and then immediately just as he's ready to you just see the truck go flying over the cliff and you get the hilariously hammy silly line but it works just so great and i love dialogue that sometimes like you, you dialogue can be many things and just as you want dialogue to be really like biting and good, really silly dialogue can work as well. So when that happens and he turns and just goes, mommy's very angry, like it just <laughs> works perfectly. It's so silly, but it just really sells the point. Like, you know, like Goldblum's just trying to be Goldblum and put on the airs, but he's absolutely terrified of what's about to happen because right, he's right. faced these T-Rexes before and he knows what's about to happen. And then the scene just escalates, like you said. Like, he, they just knock the trailer off the side. You get the whole glass work with them just trying to, like, stay together and survive this whole ideal. It's just, yeah, and there's, it's, there's it's fantastic. Like the whole part where they're still like hanging like in the like early on when it falls they're all still hanging off of stuff and um they're like they're like afraid to fall down because it's going to knock it off and they eventually fall down and then the glass starts cracking and so yeah i don't know i just think like i think it's really easy if you want to be critical of it to to try and like be very nitpicky but also the movie just seems like Steven Spielberg got a script and he was like, I'm going to shoot this and it's going to look fucking really cool. <laughs> and, and so let's go. Like, we got it. Let's do it. Like Spielberg was just like, you want some spectacle? Let's get some spectacle. Yeah. And I mean, it does. It does look really cool. <laughs> like no, a, I, a lot I of times throughout that movie. A lot of the movie holds up phenomenally well visual wise. Like the, the whole scene where they first watch um roland and ig and uh right i was about to say ign but it's not that's a a website ingen is what the was what the team is like when they first show up and they're hunting like all the creatures there like that scene holds up phenomenally well and you get the one motorcycle guy driving underneath um the brontosaurus like you get all the like all those scenes just look and hold up phenomenally well and i love i love that scene too i think that's such a great scene to introduce roland who is probably 
um, my favorite character in that move in this movie. And I think the character that works the best in there, there's just this big game hunter who's just along for the ride, not for the money, but because he wants to just hunt the, the biggest creature that he can possibly find to prove that he can do it. And that he's like this big man. Like I love that line where he's like talking with Vince Vaughn at one point and Vince Vaughn's like the creature's alive for the first time in like a hundred million years. And the first thing you want to do is shoot it. And he goes like, did I ever tell you the story of like this guy who went up to like one of the first guys to climb Mount Everest? And they're like, why did you go up there to die? And he goes, I didn't. I went up there to live. It's just like, dude, this guy <laughs> is an absolute badass. Like, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's that's another. You're, I think you're hitting on another thing that makes it kind of very hokey. Is um, it's just like a very again, it's like a very classic '90s like trope where the good guys are there for like research and and like the betterment of these dinosaurs and people and the bad guys are there to like hunt them and turn them into a theme park <laughs> it's like yeah. it's very uh, yeah, very much so like, corporate corporations bad the little guy or in yeah and it's like it's black and white in a way that a lot of movies i mean there's definitely still some movies that are black and white like that like superhero movies i think are pretty black and white but yeah. I feel like we see a lot more like morally gray kind of blockbusters these days. Whereas back then it's like, Oh, those guys are the hunters They're I'm rooting against them. You know? Yeah. Well that, that I feel like really in the modern era, it's, it's turned into that where everybody's everything's got a bit of gray to it. And more in the nineties when, when movies were just really this escapist fair, it was, these are the bad guys. These are the good guys. Let's rock and roll. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, Even um... though like Hammond is the worst good guy ever in these movies like i love that opening like the inciting incident of this movie to me is fantastic because it just highlights like how awful of a person john hammond is and how he's learned absolutely nothing right right he's right. literally like he doesn't understand why anyone would be remotely concerned about this second island full of yeah. dinosaurs and like even though he's doing something with the best intentions this time he still just goes about it in the worst way like he's like he even says the first thing he says to malcolm when he shows up he's just like don't worry i'm not making the same mistakes again and he's like no you're making complete new ones this time like <laughs> yeah and he's just like and I, I i love it because it's such interesting character work too which is another one why I it's it's weird that they harp so much on just plot conventions because while John Hammond is making this like finally altruistic move to like try and push for this conservationism on the part of the dinosaurs he knows the only way that he can get Ian to go there is if he just absolutely manipulates him and sends his girlfriend there alone knowing that he'll think his girlfriend's yep. in danger and he'll now go there to get her back. Right. Like right. he does such a shady, underhanded, evil thing. Yeah. And I like, mean, but also like, for the this right, is, this is, this is a pretty, you know what, maybe I'm underestimating this story a little bit because this part is actually pretty interesting to me too, where, you know, I don't know. Do you think he's right for like going to rescue her and like trying to get her out of there? Like, cause the movie, the movie definitely like makes it seem like she's kind of an idiot by about halfway through. And like, he's absolutely doing the right thing. 
Yeah. But I don't know. I, I was thinking about that. I was watching as I was watching it. We're like, yeah, well, like she wants to be there, though. You know, like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to like boss her around like that. That's crazy. Yeah, right. And you're honestly like you going there then and knowing she wants to be there and clashing with her is going to make things worse. Whereas if you just let her do her thing, like maybe she gets in, does the research and gets out with minimal issues. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's not fair for him to be like you shouldn't go when like this is like her life's dream probably you know what i mean yeah. but then and he's already con- gotten to see dinosaurs like yeah. he thought it was cool at first too actually no he yeah. didn't i take that back he thought it was like very oh bad. no he, he did like in that scene when he's like you son of a bitch you did it like <laughs> yeah yeah so he had it for like a few he, seconds he very quickly goes to like the the theme of like all of these movies which is they they thought so hard about whether they could they didn't stop to think if they should like he, they he's should at that not. point pretty fast in the first one yeah but um, yeah but he was always gonna go though to, to i i think he's in the right because obviously like normally if you hadn't seen the first movie you'd question it but knowing right. what's out there and knowing what she's on there alone for like he's like absolutely not like i i have to go there and get her like like even yeah, as the, i love that line that's another great line too where like uh, when Vince Vaughn and um, the other guy, uh, his name in the movie is Eddie Carr. I don't know what the name of the actor is, but they're like losing it over the stegosauruses. And and Malcolm's just like, oh, yeah, wait, wait, that's on, how it always on. starts. You don't know. You don't know the of west wing fame Richard i know he's Schiff. from yeah no i know he's from west wing but i don't i couldn't tell you his name off the top of my head i had to imdb it i was gonna see if we could do like a segment later called that guy that's like guy. oh that guy's in this he would he would be that guy he is yeah, that guy, he's, that guy. he's like oh the guy from west wing that guy yeah but yeah i just i i love that opening scene between them and i think i think it has so much good you know like even people love to crap on it and i know i'm just continuously trying to like fight against it but like to me like at least especially with dialogue like it doesn't always have to be beautiful subtext sometimes little subtext works and i think malcolm has a great line in that too when when they're fighting and he's finally going to go and he's like no it's a rescue mission now but he says to hammond he's like it's fine if you want to put your name on something but stop putting it on other people's tombstones and it's like such oh, a yeah. perfect i was like when that, i remember when that line happened when when i was watching it getting ready for this i was like dude i don't remember them dropping a line that good in this movie i was like holy yeah, crap it's a pretty great rebuke of hammond who like his whole thing is he just doesn't think about the consequences of his actions like at all you know exactly like he is still that even though he's trying to fight this corporate takeover of his company to like push forth this conservationism he's still no better than these corporate stooges like he's still learned next to nothing right and like maybe his motives are more pure but his, the results are equally as bad exactly like like his motives yeah are more pure but he's still doing these underhanded tactics to go through getting it like he's still playing with people's lives like they're nothing like he's like yeah i'll just send this girl there by herself to try and trick this dude that i know hates me into going to the island yeah so well, so speaking of speaking of him going to rescue his girlfriend uh doctor was she a doctor sarah harding dr sarah harding um played by julianne moore i did not know julianne moore was in this movie i was pretty surprised by that she's another one that kind of slips through the cracks that you wouldn't expect to see in this movie like her vince vaughn uh just very actors that you wouldn't normally see in big spectacle movies like this 
Yeah, well, I'm trying to think, like, I don't know if she was, I mean, she must have been pretty famous by then, right? Because that would have been... Well, I think, I think by then, hadn't Boogie Nights been out by then? I'm not sure if that was, like, late 90s. Yeah, I don't know if Boogie Nights came out before or after that, but I'm pretty sure she was not, like, crazy famous, but I'm known enough. I'm like, she definitely, she definitely had a lot of credits. I'm trying that she could land she was in the fugitive i think she played uh she's in the fugitive for like five seconds she's like the doctor who's like hey where are you going kimball yeah wait is she not his wife i thought no no she's she's the random wife i don't know she's the random doctor or nurse whichever one she is that he's like there and he diagnoses the kid and she's like yeah she's like she's like you saved that kid like what what's your name let me see your badge and then like because he's like the janitor or something right she's not like i for some reason i thought she was at the party in the beginning but you're right she actually like is a doctor like in a hospital in that movie yeah yeah yeah. i think she's only in it for like that one or two scenes like she thinks she's in it for like uh, i'm looking she starred opposite hugh grant in nine months which is like I think like a romantic comedy. I'm assuming yeah. about babies. I don't maybe, know. Maybe Spielberg was a big fan of that, and he was like, "I gotta get Julianne Moore in something." Yeah. So I mean, she doesn't Benny and June, but that's like a movie I've heard of. I don't know if she played any. I don't think anyone like... saw that. But I mean, like Vince Vaughn <laughs> was in like Swingers, and he got into this movie, so it's not like she needed to be that famous. Yeah, and I mean, she she's like fourth build in that movie, so it doesn't look like she has like a lot of big credits before this. This was probably a big, huge movie for her to do. Probably, yeah. yeah. Like, and then it definitely it was before Boogie Nights because Boogie Nights came out. Oh, Boogie Nights also came out in '97. Oh, so that's a big. That's a big. Yeah, '97 was a big year for Julianne Moore. Yes. Wow, that's a that's a that's a killing right there. Two huge movies. Oh, good for her. Good, good for her. Yeah. So I was I was a little a little surprised to see her. I thought she was pretty good in it. I liked how she also didn't seem to have any idea of like the risk in, like, of what was going on on the island she's definitely ian from like the first movie where she's just like i've been around predators all my life like yeah right like it's like yeah but like not the same uh <laughs> like it's the same but not the same we mentioned this a couple times, but Vince Vaughn makes an appearance in this. Yeah, Vince Vaughn. Is, I guess we we should really talk about the elephant in the room, which is the biggest problem character-wise for both of us in this movie. Yeah. And that is Vince Vaughn's character. I couldn't really get a beat on what his deal was. <laughs> well, I feel like when the critics are talking about, you know, just like plot mechanics of just like the, the characters are perfunctory, Vince Vaughn is the main like subject of that ire because he absolutely is just what the plot needs this man is never defined right anyway like we first well, no, meet the problem is he's defined in too many ways yeah you're right you're right he, do, he like... doesn't get he he just he changes with every scene like we we meet him and he talks about how he joined greenpeace for the chicks and then only took right. this job for the money but right. then when we he's get to that like scene you were talking about, and... yeah, then he's like, he's like, yeah, he only got the job because Hammond was paying good. But then when he talks about saving the dinosaurs, he's like, Hammond thought this might happen. So he brought a plan B and they're like, what's plan B? And he's like, me. It's like, what? Yeah. Uh, now you're like, like an eco-terrorist? Like, what? Right. And he like whips out like a gun and it's just like, what is this guy's deal? 
<laughs> like, I don't understand. And then without any, like, and, like, this dude pretty much broke the camp, releasing dinosaurs, probably getting a bunch of in-gen people killed. And then, like, eight scenes later, when oh, they're all sitting around, like, wanting to like, relax, and the before, main corporate before. stooge is like, let's leave. They're like, ah, fuck that guy. And then Vince Vaughn's like, come on, guys, let's go. And they're like, all yeah. right, let's follow him. He, he very quickly becomes one of the boys, yeah, by the end. Yeah. I did like, want to talk a little bit more about that scene when they break up the camp, because he lets, he lets, like, a dinosaur loose in the camp, right? Vince Vaughn does. He lets, he lets a lot of dinosaurs loose. Yeah, this was probably my favorite part of the movie when when you mentioned the big game hunters earlier like with their cool lines when they first land and um the main hunter makes it very clear that he wants one particular person in charge if he's not around he calls out Dieter by name um Dieter is his right hand man and then Dieter is in charge for like 40 seconds and, and Fitz Vaughn's letting dinosaurs through the camp and it's like a total disaster like I don't know where Dieter came from I don't know how he got the job but he didn't do great well especially when like we meet Dieter like he's an absolute sociopath like he's just like and I love it too because it's such a great way for them like I just picture them sitting in the meeting being like all right we got this bad guy Dieter like what's a what's a quick visual way that we can make the audience hate him and they're like, I got it. Like he's sitting around hanging out. A couple of compies roll up. You know, they're not bothering anybody. They're just curious. And the guy comes up and he says, yeah, like, you know, like the, they're not dangerous. Like unless there's a bunch of them. He's like, they got no reason to fear, man. They've never seen man. And Dieter just pulls out a stun gun and just stuns the compie in the face. And he's just like, now they do. It's like, what? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, they get him back in the end, right? They, 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 yeah, they do. It, it eventually catches up to him. Which that cracks me up too, because they stalk him. When he goes off to his own, which leads me to believe that this compy remembered getting sh like shocked by yeah. this guy, went okay. back to his boys and were like, bro, you're never going to believe who I just ran into. And they were just like, round up the crew. We're getting this guy. Right. <laughs> they right. just stalked him for like two days. He's maybe my favorite punching bag ever in a movie. He just yeah. like the whole like there's the second, third, uh, the, the whole back half of that movie. He's totally inept. <laughs> he doesn't and do a it, single thing he's, right. he's another perfect candidate for the segment of that guy. That guy in the movie. Yeah. It's this Peter also, Stromare. Also that guy who I that believe guy. was in, in Fargo, right? Yeah, Fargo, Armageddon. He's he's in so much stuff. But uh, his death, too, is is another thing that really works for me, is this movie, the kills are so much darker and violent than the yeah. first movie. In the first movie, the one big death that you really, like, see is um, the lawyer who gets eaten by the T-Rex. And even then, it's not very yeah. bloody or anything. And it, But in this movie, like, people get murked violently. And I think my absolute favorite one is during the T-Rex chase when they all hide in the cave and they're all just like up against the cave and the T-Rex, you know, is trying to come through and he can't and he, he just like puts his tongue through and starts trying to lick them. And then the one dude, like the, the game the warden or the guy who knew everything about all the dinosaurs like all of a sudden like the snake rolls down into his like shirt and he starts freaking out and the t-rex yeah. grabs him by the arm and pulls him up out of the cave and then you just see the blood start pouring down into the waterfall like i'm like dude spielberg is a master man like that's yeah, just yeah. so good like yeah 100 percent. yeah those, it's violent those, those it's, scenes were it's great. 
Yeah, it is. It's such good usage of PG thirteen violence. Right, and Dieter Dieter kind of gets like a, the same kind of death, right? Where he it's like off camera, and then you see like his his blood like trickling. Yeah, Isn't that like yeah. Yeah, he said the blood trickling into the like the the little river, but uh, even before he dies, he gets murked pretty. Like you see, like that one compie like chewing on his lip. Yep. Oh, you're like, that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, oh, it's man. like pulling on his lip and stuff, and you're like, oh my god, like this is yeah, violent. Pretty gruesome, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, like, they they went above. He went above and beyond in making sure that the kills in this movie were absolutely memorable. Even freaking um, the West Wing guy, he gets murked too. The two T Rexes like rip him in half. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he? Doesn't he like take a car or something? Like the car. Yeah, he's using like the car to try and like save them in the trailer. And then they just, the T-Rexes just lift them right out of the, the car and just like tear them in two. It's like, Jesus. Wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty like, intense. Yeah. It's like, my God, that is violent. One of the things that I thought would be more violent, which turned out to not be violent at all, and is one of the few things in this movie that doesn't so much work for me, is the Raptors. Okay. They, I feel like they nerfed the Raptors hard in this movie like their introduction is great like i love the scene when they're all running into the tall grass and you get the one idiot who's like don't go into the tall grass oh, and then he starts yes. running into the tall grass too right. like that scene and is they, they great start getting like they start getting like picked off right by like yeah. one by one and yeah you can't like see them you just see this tall grass start to bend and stop yeah to and bend. they just get yeah. like ripped down like that's such a good reintroduction for this movie of the raptors but then they completely ruin it with malcolm and them dealing with the raptors because obviously none of that group can die so they have to keep coming up with absurd ways for them to not get viciously murdered by these raptors and it's so silly like it's like like ian runs up and there's a raptor in front of him so then he runs into a building and the raptor jumps through the glass so then he just like runs back out the building and then like jumps into his car and then the raptor is like ripping at the car and it's just like is this is this when they're already in san diego no no this is this is when um vince vaughn is going to fix the radio like right before they get saved and that, oh, it's, right, it's when right, his, right. when his daughter pole like is doing the the high beam and high beams one of the raptors right out the window oh how could i forget yeah the yeah gymnastic like pays off so good like that whole scene is such a looney tunes cartoon to me yeah like there just happens to be like a set of uneven bars <laughs> yeah but like it's just always like the raptors are like right there but don't kill them Okay, I take it back. That might have been my favorite part, though, when she like does the gymnastics kick to the raptor. That's pretty incredible. I love too. Like... Right before she does it, where she just goes like she shouts at the raptor, "Hey!" and the raptor like looks like it understood her, and then she just high beams it out the window. And she does like a couple of good spins too, right? She yeah, dude, she's like got it. She's got to get that. She's got to get the speed, man. She needs that momentum. Yeah, just and it, like. That paid off from like a line like at the very beginning of the movie when when she's talking about how he like Ian Malcolm's talking to her about how excited she'll be for gymnastics and she's like, I got cut from the team, dad. Like he didn't even know, like You don't know anything about me, dad. You're right. But then it pays off. It was so good. She's just like, Who needs gymnastics now? I just I just murked a raptor. 
Brennan, take that gymnastics coach. Cut me. All right, she goes back. You can cut me from the team. Did you high beam a raptor? Saving your dad's girlfriend? I did that. <laughs> so silly. It's so silly. <laughs> it's so that, ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. That that's probably the one thing in the movie that's too silly for me yeah. and obviously it and doesn't I mean, it doesn't ruin the movie by any means but if like I if do. i'm gonna level any type of concise criticism here it's definitely that portion of the movie yeah i do get what you're saying like the raptors get basically just beat up by a little girl which, which exactly yeah, exactly definitely, like, definitely takes them down a few notches okay I, I got a question for you okay which raptor scene is worse um the the one we just talked about okay. in the lost world or the egg trade at the end of jurassic park 3 oh man that is a good question that is a good where, question honestly sam, sam neil returning as uh the paleontologist what's his name in these movies um kid i don't know uh, alan whatever his name alan alan, alan yes alan alan um honestly at the end of jurassic park 3 for those who haven't seen it uh it's a must watch um they they, they're like carrying these raptor eggs the whole movie and like at the end the raptors cut them off like when they're headed to the beach and they make like a they make like a deal like they like trade like the raptors are like the mafia or something they like trade them the egg for safe passage they're both (laughs) so goddamn silly and like I'm trying to sit here in my head and like justify it like story-wise at least because I'm like yeah but like Ian had like the, the you know the um the fossil of the vocal cords so like he was speaking to the raptors in their in their voice so I'm like trying to justify why the third one works but it's as I'm justifying it I'm like that is the silliest justification you could think of like do you hear yourself it doesn't make any sense. Like the it's it's one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a movie. Honestly. Like who pitched that in a in a room and they were like, "Yeah, that's the move. Let's go." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, that right. that he's obviously having like a whole he's having like a whole conversation with them. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. All right, that one. That one's definitely more <laughs> absurd. I think I agree. Yeah, I think I agree. That was definitely more absurd. Oh my god, that's so funny. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, um, um, all right, was there yeah, anything? So, I mean, yeah, we need to talk about San Diego. It's true. Yeah, probably like the, a, the one thing big, we get to touch on is is a the big chunk of the movie, the coda, home as people of, like to say of this movie, the epilogue is is how they like of, to say it. Home of SeaWorld, uh, the San Diego Zoo, and the Chargers. Yeah. San Diego Zoo. Uh, I I like this portion. It's it's fun. This is another one that was funny to me of how many people talk about how it's just like the movie ends, but then it keeps going. But if you really like watch the movie and that scene when they're discussing, you know, bringing the animals to the San Diego Zoo, I feel like there was no other place for this movie to end but back on the mainland. Like this this continues to feel like an extension of the movie. Like this is just Act Three. That, that's it, right that's another thing that that you see a lot in 90s action movies and i mean this is probably early 2000s but bad boys 2 comes to mind where like 
the movie's over and then they're just like by the way we're going to cuba <laughs> like, oh yeah like, yeah that's right i they feel have like that. that was like that was a thing that happened a lot in these kinds of movies back then because they just yeah. needed like one more awesome set piece to, like, yeah like the like their act two is very like the end of act two is really felt like the end of their movies and then they were just like no we right. got some, we got some more for right you, like and then they're like and now we're gonna crank it up to 12 on everything and it's yeah. gonna be nuts now we're gonna go crazy which is really what they did in this one they were just like all right t-rex is gonna stampede through san diego and it's gonna be yeah. wild and i'm all for another, it the, go on another thing that i think people can very fairly critique here okay. what the hell happened on that boat dude i was literally that's exactly <laughs> what i was just gonna say too because i was just like totally awesome set piece of the t-rex rampaging but i feel like they didn't think yeah so so set through the, set how the, he gets out at all set the stage a little bit for yeah. like when the t-rex bef like before his stampede the calm before the storm so to speak so they all show up at the dock waiting for this boat to come in that's bringing in the t-rex and it's bringing in the mom the baby t-rex was flown in separately from a chopper they make a, a big point to say that at one point that they're like the baby's already at the zoo it came in on the chopper so only the big right, t-rex that's, that's going to become a really big is, focal point of this yeah. of this set piece yeah, so only the big t-rex is on this boat but when the boat shows up they realize that they can't reach the captain or anything and the boat just completely just barrels into this dock and comes to arrest just right in the dock crash landing in there and when everyone gets on the boat and they search through it they realize the entire crew and the captain are dead they're just ripped into a million pieces but right. you find pieces of the captain in the cabin like like in the like like who killed him the t-rex right. didn't like, get up there like we're led to believe that the t-rex somehow broke out of this like really big enclosure that it's in at the bottom of this thing and then like went through the boat and like killed everybody <laughs> just then, like silently murked yeah and then somehow still crash landed it at the dock that it was supposed to go to like it doesn't make any like, sense whatsoever how perfectly like did the t-rex kill them three seconds before they got there like so that they were already on route like how early did this t-rex kill the captain that it still maintained course yeah and I, I think it's important to point out once again i don't care it's just like <laughs> true it's it's care about like i made a note of this when it happened i was like jesus what what happened on that boat but then whatever whatever I, I don't care like it's just so good like that whole rest of that movie is amazing it's one of those ones where you're just like all right let's go like <laughs> you're like whatever we just we, we needed to get the t-rex free who cares right. you're thinking about and it so, too much yeah <laughs> exactly they maybe yeah. could have thought about it a little more but they, they yeah. to me they i give them a pass because i think the whole chase that ensues on the streets of san diego is incredible i think it, yeah it's a lot of fun and um it's just classic ian malcolm right there like i love he's just such like a fun um hero because you could you, in every scene you can just tell that he wants absolutely zero part of having to do any of this <laughs> like right, he's just right. he's just such a good like thrust into the scenario hero like he's just like ah great like here we go again <laughs> but yeah no that that's that scene is a lot of fun and the whole ensuing chase um leading him back there with the baby is a lot of fun and leads to one of my favorite portions which is another one where you know i wrote it down too where i was just like really 
but then also wrote next to it like i also don't care but when they get the t-rex and the baby back onto the boat and they dot like they they lead them up there and then ian and sarah dive off the boat and the t-rexes get brought back down into the enclosure because dumbass executive um ludlow is down there and they and while they're eating him right then you see ian and sarah sneak back onto the boat and sarah goes up to the pass and while ian presses the button to start closing the enclosure the t-rex starts to lift his head out like he's gonna break it and sarah from about 50 yards out just expertly (laughs) snipes the t-rex perfectly with a tranquilizer dart we've never seen this woman handle a firearm or a weapon in any way the entire movie and then suddenly she just freaking like dead shots this guy and i'm just like yeah no but also i don't care all right sure yeah i (laughs) mean why not probably not earned but at this point i'm just so in on the movie i do not care (laughs) like Like it's just it's so absurd and it's it's one of those ones that really like i guess depending on the leniency with which you give your movies you'll get a lot out of that or not like you're either going to be someone who sees something like that and it and you're just going to let it absolutely tear down and ruin the movie for you and you're just yeah, going well, from that to me i'm or, less concerned with whether a movie if i be, like if it seems logically believable that a movie character can do that cool thing and i'm much more concerned with that it's just a cool thing you know like, like hitting if, if, that, if it, hitting that long distance shot with a tranquilizer gun to like finally put the nail on the coffin of this thing is like is pretty cool and it definitely i guess you you really got to take it with how you feel emotionally in the moment like if you're swept up in it and it hits you and you're just like yeah baby snipe that motherfucker you're then like it worked whether or not you believe the character could do it or not it worked for you so like yeah totally yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm we're especially how we are we're much more forgiving with movies now in our elder statesman age than we used to be I I, I could picture younger me like being like one of those people where I'd be like no nah, that's stupid like they like there was no like if they didn't set it up then no it's bad it's bad writing and like now I'm just like that's a cool scene like who knows like she 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 dealt with a lot of dangerous predators in her life she probably learned some gun maintenance like she yeah why not could, sure <laughs> she could she could snipe that you know distance like it's possible <laughs> so, right, uh, we're, so we're, we're much more forgiving uh in this in this day and age yeah 100 percent agree oh uh, uh, you have anything else on this one what else you got no i think that is the big all the big huge things worth talking about i feel like we really ran through the gamut on that movie hit all of the big beats do you have anything you got left in the tank there uh no i think i'm good yeah all right so then now is the time where we'll turn our attention now to our rating for the movie we'll go through i figure how we wanted to do this here if we were going to go diving through a bunch of movies that we're going to end up making a list out of it so we're going to take I'll give my ranking. Jim will give his ranking. We will add that ranking together for a score. So I'll do out of five stars. Jim does out of five stars. We add it together for something out of 10 stars. And then it gets added to the list. So week over week, as we add movies to the list, the list will start to grow. And we'll start to pick out and see which of these movies really held up the best for us as we're going back upon them, which movies are really just not hitting up the snuff. 
and we'll just see where this huge list ends up lying as we go along. So, Jim, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, your first time watch here for this. Let us hear last-minute thoughts and your ranking for this movie. I am going to give it a solid Roger Ebert spawn 3.5 stars. Um, when I first saw this movie as a kid, um, I gave this a perfect score, five stars. I loved this movie as a kid. Definitely, as I've gotten older, I have realized that was a very, very generous, generous ranking right there. That was definitely, uh, you're a kid, you saw dinosaurs, you loved it, five stars. Like, like it's all that mattered. Um, now, as I've gotten older and I've watched it, it's settled in for me now. Um, the small nitpicks that I have about the movie do not stop me from still really enjoying this movie. And I think this is a four-star movie for me, at least this, this movie okay. hits for me. I really enjoy it. The, the, the two big things that I hate about it, about it aren't enough to really ruin the movie for me. Um, so while obviously it's not a perfect movie, I still think it's a damn enjoyable movie and definitely the best sequel to Jurassic Park that they've ever made. So I would give it four stars. Okay. All right. So, so that if gives I have, us... If I have this right, we're collectively giving it a seven and a half out of 10. Yes. So seven and a half out of 10. So we'll keep, we'll keep the list going now. So right now in first place with seven and a half stars is the lost world. <laughs> Much like it's Jurassic. box office run. I imagine it will be dethroned pretty shortly. <laughs> That'll do it for all of us here at front row cinema until next time. We'll see you at the movies.